Hey everyone, before we jump into this talk back, I want to take a minute to thank our very awesome patrons. These people have been with us since the beginning, really helping keep the radio plays, the talkbacks, and the extras coming. And uh, really, this would be in a very different place without this kind of support. So I want to thank CO9019, Nathan T. McCandless, Nick Lama, Rosemary Laurenti, Andrea Perry, Kira M. Davey, William Horn, and Brendan Cunningham. Thank you guys so very, very much. Now, if you want to help us consider becoming a patron, you get a lot of awesome rewards, some uh, some swag at some levels, including hoodies, mugs, things like that. Um, at the super high levels, you even get cameos in episodes, um, which I think is pretty neat. And one of the cool things that you do get for being a patron is you get early access to episodes and you get to be in the live streams where we do the talkbacks and the patchwork extras which uh, is pretty neat because you get to ask these q a questions um, and get your answers right there live and there's a lot of editing that happens with these episodes too to make them more digestible so you get to see the full thing and uh, see what everyone looks like things like that so again if you feel like supporting us you like what you hear and you want to keep these things coming consider becoming a patron now without further ado we have a really awesome talk back this week with a with a very special guest uh, in addition to having nick lama who plays harry jennifer arroyo who plays um angie we have bill horn my father making his debut as trcs and he's going to be um, on this episode which is really really neat and i'm super glad to have him here all right um that's it Thanks for being here. Enjoy. You're listening to the Patchwork Radio Theater Podcast. everyone, I'm Chelsea O here with another episode of Patchwork Talkback uh, for the production of Fall. It's been a little while, guys. Um, I'm excited to be back doing this. And I have with me right now three guests um, <clears throat> who all have played a part in this production. So why don't you each introduce yourselves and uh, either the role you played as a character or the role you played as as a writer would be for <laughs> Billy. But, um, I'll let you guys do your introductions. I'm Bill Horn. I'm Billy's dad. And uh, I was the news voice in the uh, TRCS News. And I am Nicholas Lama, and I play Harry, General Harry Santiago. Very nice. So first and foremost, uh, it sounds like this play goes back 20 years. Am I right on that, that you wrote this? Well, I don't like when you say that out loud. Um. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, I, I find that cool because you're getting to breathe new life into it all these years later, and it's still um, relevant in a lot of ways and still holds people's attention and their interest. And uh, what I found interesting and what I kind of wanted to ask you about was that you had said um, that it wasn't well received when you initially workshopped it. And I'm curious, yeah. 
if you're comfortable, if you could give a little more detail as to like, why wasn't it well received? Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna burn any bridges, I don't think, at least none that aren't long since cinders. Um, but yeah, I did a, I was in college and um, a professor of mine knew that I was writing and just starting to do playwriting. And she got me into a uh, playwriting workshop with all these other Buffalo playwrights. I attended it and, you know, it was an ongoing thing. You, you bring your scripts and they work on it and stuff. And it was the first musical that they had done or seen there. And um, the, the end of the process was that there is a stage reading um, of, of your piece. So I had a little three-piece band and a very talented cast. And all the playwrights were very much of the opinion that they all liked the music, um, but they all could have written it better. It didn't really help <laughs> with much. Um, I thought some of what their, uh, their notes were, were just really missing the mark to the point where I I'm, was convinced they didn't understand what I was going for. And because of that, they wouldn't have been able to help me get there. Like the, a lot of them wanted the character of cross to be in their words, um, more demonized. They wanted him to be a clear cut villain. And, you know, I, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, is he, and maybe it was because it was a musical and they wanted more, caricatures as opposed to you know what i was going for i was i was trying to do like dune in 1980s south america you know and uh um or actually antigone is the closest because it, it very much is like a carbon copy of antigone oh sorry i don't mean to interrupt you no no um what i was going to say that you sort of just touched on and what we were sort of talking about before we hopped on to the live um, setting was that this is the first in a series. And so it's an introduction to these characters. There's a lot of things that are um, brought up that have not been resolved by the end of the production yet. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I felt like it was really interesting that I agree that the characters weren't they were complex. I, I didn't get the cookie cutter explanation of like, well, this is the villain. This is the good guy. Um, I found that really intriguing. So I think it adds personally. Um, but I guess if someone was looking for a more Disney approach. <laughs> Honestly, <wasn't> there. <laughs> I don't know what they were looking for. My dad was there. And I remember he said uh, afterwards, he made a comment about, uh, because here's the thing, after you performed, everyone just tells you what they thought about it and you don't get to respond until everybody's done. So I remember he made a comment about us like, boy, that must have been hard to just, you know, sit there and take that for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, just people just ripping apart something that you, you know, tried really hard to make into a thing, you know, mm -hmm. and and this was a very early version of the script too. It, it has grown, it's expanded the characters of Enzo and Joe that everyone in the slums, they didn't even exist in this version. Um, you know, so it's, it's come a long way, but uh, I, to this day have not put in a single note that I was given. 
Well, speaking of it coming a long way, it started as a musical, as you yeah. just this is not a musical. <laughs> so no. I'm wondering, is this not a musical just for the sake of the audio production, or did it actually turn into a play over time? But um, yeah, no, it was, I, I did a new draft of it as, as, you know, how would I write it if it was like, if I was writing Pygmalion after My Fair Lady, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so speaking of, uh, I guess, background information and such, Bill, yeah. <laughs> I heard some interesting things about you as well. Um, I heard Uh-oh. that you had actually discovered um, World War II documents in Lewiston. As a matter of fact, yes. Uh, <laughs> Could you please explain that? Because that sounds really cool, and I'd like to sure. know. Sure. <laughs> um, it was actually, uh, I wasn't on, but it was on one of the major network uh, news programs, either 60 Minutes or 2020. Um, the, the diary, the personal handwritten diary of one of Adolf Hitler's uh, closest uh, friends and, and members of his administration uh, named Rosenberg uh, wrote it, kept this diary during the war. And um, it had supposedly come down through um, one of the lawyers, the military lawyers uh, from the United States who was in charge of prosecuting Nazi war criminals after the war through his family and eventually came into the hands of a, um, a book dealer, uh, publisher in Lewiston. And in our office uh, got the assignment of trying to locate this document. And uh, we were gonna go and interview uh, this individual in Lewiston. So yeah, we, we went up to Lewiston, we went to the office, we had an interview with the gentleman we spoke to him at length, probably a good hour and a half, and he said he didn't know about this document, wasn't sure if he had it. He thought maybe he had seen it at some point. And to make a long story shorter, um, he did uh, call us within uh, a day or two. His attorney called and said, yes, they had come across this document, and they were going to turn it over to us. So I subsequently went from... I, in Delaware, uh, went back up to Buffalo, went to the attorney's office where I picked up the diary and brought it back down here. And it ended up going, uh, I think it's in the collection at the Holocaust Museum now. Uh, We had some uh, people from the the Holocaust Museum come up and um, verify and, and, uh, you know, certify that this was actually the document. And uh, it was fascinating, obviously, but just to to have had my hands on this uh, priceless and so um, so important, such an important document from that period in time, and it was uh, it was a great 
uh, part of uh, what I did, and I'm happy that I had the opportunity to work on that case. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. It was. Lewiston. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's crazy. Um, also, it sounds like, oh, we have Jen in here. Hi, Jen. Hi, guys. I'm so sorry. I was having phone issues, and I'm literally in my car. It's the only thing that was that was working. So I so apologize for my lateness. It's so wonderful to see all your beautiful faces. That's all right. Thank you so much for joining us. And you play Angela in yeah. production. Yes. So just to familiarize the audience with who you are, um, thanks so much for joining us. Um, so actually... Um, I'm going to switch gears here and actually ask you a question, Jen, if you're ready for it. Absolutely. All right, cool. Um, so I've heard you've been in every production of Fall. Is that true? Yeah, that and is very true. All different characters. Mm-hmm. Cool. So has your perspective changed on the storyline um, in any way, like changing characters? Or has it stayed the same? Um, I don't know if necessarily I want to say my perspective has changed. I... From the beginning, like back when this was a play in a like stage reading workshop thing and everybody chewed it up to where we're at now. I remember that night. I remember like I had barely spoken to Billy. We just met like in rehearsal and then we did a couple of things. I sang the chorus and afterwards, like I remember being so angry that they ripped up the show and I was like, don't worry, because the show is going to be amazing. And then when he decided to put it on, he gave me a call and was like, hey. Uh, I know it's been some time, but come on back. So I've I've been nothing but humbled and blessed to see the show go from where it was to where we are, how it's changed, but it hasn't changed for the worse. Like it wasn't changed in vain. It, everything that was added was something that was needed, something that was necessary. Um, it's been a beautiful experience to watch it grow like that and to have the honor of watching it grow like that and, and playing all those different characters. I mean, I, for the first few times that we actually did it, I was, um, Oh my God, Eunice. <laughs> I had a brain fire for a second and I loved playing her character and now playing Angie. Um, I just got to see it in a different light. I'm still And it's, it's been a great, great experience. And you just mentioned singing, and I'm curious, are you the vocalist on the song that's at the end of the production playing out? Um, depending, maybe? I, I don't... There was a, definitely a female vocalist on whatever the final song was, and I was curious who it was. I'm not sure if okay. Oh, God, I don't... I don't remember what, what I put there. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll revisit that another time. Hi, everyone. This is Billy from the future, and I'm just here to clarify. The song in question is the song Cry, and the woman singing is actually a very talented, beautiful actress named Jessica Stuber, who played Angela in the production that we recorded. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> it could have been. Um, so I'm going to go up to Nick. Hi, Nick. Been so patiently waiting up there in the corner. <laughs> I'm good. I'm, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm absorbing. <laughs> so Nick, I heard that in real life, you would have played the role of Sonny, but in this audio production, you played the role of Harry. And I'm curious, um, 
I don't know. I, I felt like you really fit the role of Harry. So I don't know if you could envision yourself as Sonny or like if you'd have um, not a preference, but I, how you would have played it differently or I don't know. Well, surprise, surprise, because that is news to me. Yeah, he's, he doesn't know this. Yeah, okay. no, I, I uh, in my notes, I said that um, I would have, if we were doing I'm sorry a stage if I version. let something, a cat out of the bag, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Nick is a really, really phenomenal actor, and he has a, a incredible stage presence, and he's, I said that this, I said that Harry was against type for you, because oh, yeah. you you would be a comedic actor, and Sonny is the funnier of the two roles, which is why I love seeing you do a dramatic role because I always think comedic actors do drama phenomenally. It shows your versatility for sure. Yeah, he's like definitely like when you look at the two in the scenes that Sonny and Harry have together, Sonny is definitely the more clownier of the two. And it's... For me, like doing the more serious dramatic part in Harry, it, for me, it's not a challenge, but it's I gotta find I find myself like kind of like reining myself in where it's like there are certain moments where it's like like I'll, I'll like reading the line on the page in my head, I hear how it could be funny or how it could be like kind of turned into not like a comedic moment, but how there could be that little spin on it, especially if he's dealing with uh, Sonny or Angela. Um, but then just thinking about his kind of like his, where his where he is in life, it kind of like puts that kind of that dampener on it. Just going, okay, yes, yeah, he there are he could definitely go out there with some things, but like. He's also, he's got all eyes on him. If I could put Nick over just a little bit, the scenes that Nick's talking about, the scenes with Sonny and Harry, it's, um, sorry, I'm getting text messages popping up on the Mac. I didn't know it did that. So that's distracting. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, where was I? Oh, yes, putting Nick over. It takes a lot of restraint to be in a scene with someone else and to let them <clears throat> land a joke. And that's what I mean about uh, comedic actors being really good at drama is because you have these, these moments here where the levity comes from, you know, there's a serious conversation and then Sonny will say something dumb, but you could put a joke in there sooner. You could make it funny and it would undercut that at the end, you know, but it takes an, someone who understands the craft like Mr. Lama here to be able to know when not to, to work, you know, when to not put in a, a flare on something and just let stuff speak for itself. Um, so Bill, I'm going to go back to you, ask you okay. another question. So it sounds like you have some familiarity with the um, South American events that inspired this play. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about your connection to Chile. Sure. Um, Billy's mom is from Chile. And uh, we met 
a hundred years ago, I tell people because I feel very old sometimes, but uh, I've actually traveled to Chile twice. And um, when Billy's mom came here, um, she would tell me stories. It wasn't that long after uh, the overthrow of the uh, Allende government in Chile. And she would tell me stories about uh, what it was like to live under a communist um, ruler mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. So I had some knowledge of, uh, of legitimate hands-on uh, Chilean history. And then um, I went there. It's a wonderful country. Um, I, I love the people and the, the countryside. It's beautiful. And uh, it's just a, a wonderful place to go and visit. And, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I was wondering, the entire cast is helpful for all of you. Do all of you have a familiarity with the Spanish language? And if so, where from? Can you tell your story? I guess we can go one at a time. Um, from my screen, it's Billy starts out in the front corner. So I guess I'll start with Billy. So Billy. Yes. Uh, yeah, I speak English and Spanish. Um, I speak Spanish every day. I still use it at home. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, I joke about it because, like, uh, my brother doesn't speak Spanish. I mean, don't misunderstand. He can. He just doesn't. So, like, me and my mom and my dad will be having a conversation in Spanish. And if we throw a question to him, he will respond in English every time and continue his end of the conversation in English. Um but yeah, it, we, um, <clears throat> especially at home when we, uh, when we talk with my mom, um, we tend to switch mid sentence to whatever language has the easier word at the time. So we will have entire conversations where the lang- where the languages switch between English and Spanish, um, it, in a single sentence, um, several times over, you know, and I know that can be a little tricky to keep up with sometimes, but, uh, yeah, no, that um, I, I can't write it worth a damn. But yeah, I can I can speak it um, since I could since I could speak. Cool. And Bill, then I assume you go in with that. <laughs> yeah, I um, I had an uncle uh, whose family was from Spain. Uh, both of his parents came to the United States from Spain, and I remember going over to his house when I was young. And his father would come over to visit. His mom had already passed away, but his father would come over to visit and they'd be sitting on the front porch and they'd be talking Spanish. And I would just listen. I was fascinated by it. I just loved the idea of being able to communicate in another language. And um, one thing Billy just said, uh, we'd be sitting there and they'd be talking and talking and they would say something like, see, I get in this parte vine puse el carro in the garage. <laughs> then they would continue talking Spanish. And my mom used to say, wait a minute, that's not a Spanish word, garage. And it just, it was easier for them. The word that came to the brain, whether they were speaking Spanish or English, when they were talking about putting the car into the garage was garage. So that I have from, Jesus, 50 years ago, recollections of exactly what Billy's talking about. But then when I was in high school, um, I took Spanish and became fascinated with the language. Uh, neighbors of ours had an exchange student from Peru, 
And I would speak to her because I was, I mean, basic stuff. Good morning. How are you? But eventually over the course of the school year, I got better. And then uh, I decided to major in modern languages um, at Niagara University. So I did that. And then through work, of course, I spoke a lot of Spanish. And when Billy's mom and I got married, we spoke only Spanish at home for the first couple of years anyway. Um, she learned English and uh, we spoke more English, but in the beginning we spoke Spanish at home. And uh, then when Billy was born, he, um, his grandma had come to uh, live with, uh, with his mom and they grew up and he would go to the store with her. I remember when he was, I don't know, five or six years old, would go to the grocery store with his grandmother and translate for her. She would say, uh, ask him where the lettuce is. And Billy, little kid would say, you tell me where the lettuce is? And they would tell him where to go. And um, so it was, uh, that's my connection with the language. I would say that I'm pretty fluent now, not as much as I used to be. But when uh, when Billy was young, I was, I was pretty good. Nice. Cool. How about uh, Nick? Do you have a story? Uh, nothing as amazing. Um, I took it in high school, a um, little bit in grammar school, and some in college. And it was, you know, very generic, just like learning verbs and just like very like specific things. Um, but but outside of like the classrooms that it was taught in it was never um never really prevalent in my life and uh I don't know, it's just it's something that i always i wanted always wanted to be able to learn a second language just because there's so many in like the world and the country and in like western new york who speak English isn't their first language and so I, I just feel like that learning another that another language would make it easier and make it more welcoming for people um, but also it's just uh, I want to educate myself in those things too um, but and but yeah but Spanish was the language that I studied through school and just wish that I had had more encounters with it outside of now Billy. Nice, and Jen handed it off to you. <laughs> yes, so I am Puerto Rican. I um, don't mind me, I'm finally in a spot where I can transition to some light. Um, I'm Puerto Rican. I grew up understanding Spanish. My grandmother never taught me. My mother spoke it, my father spoke it, but we spoke English at home. My grandmother and my grandfather got sick around the time that I was, 11, 12 years old, and my uncles all decided, well, since my mom and we all lived closer, send Jennifer over there. She can take care of grandma and grandpa, and she can do what she's got to do. So because of this, I had to learn Spanish because I had to take care of them. I was feeding and bathing and changing and all of those things. Mm -hmm. So as my grandmother got sicker, I became more and more her primary caregiver. Um, she moved into like the senior home for Spanish elders that we have here in Buffalo. And 
all of her friends gathered around and they were like, oh, it's so great. Your daughter or your granddaughter's here and she's helping you. And she goes, yeah, but she can't really speak Spanish. And in Spanish, I replied, who are you talking about, me? And they all started laughing. So I, um, <clears throat> I did like high school Spanish when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. And by the time I got to high school, I went into college Spanish and I was done by like my sophomore year. So I didn't have to take any more. And then every job I've had after that has been Spanish. So I'm a social worker by day. Um, I'm currently a crisis counselor for New York Project Hope. So whenever Spanish calls come in or things like that, I translate, I do the calls, I no. help people. That's just me. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I took Spanish for, my God, you guys, it's embarrassing because I think I took it for six years and I did not maintain much, <laughs> to be honest. It's it's embarrassing. But it's one of those things where I feel like if I uh, if I read it, or if someone were to speak very slowly, I can catch on a little bit. But to me, to speak it, I mean, it just sounds like a joke. <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> the uh, it just sounds the issue bad. is using it. Um, yeah. One of the reasons that I love the language so much and did so well, and it was because our neighbors had that exchange student when I was just learning. And uh, I had actually taken two years of Latin before I studied Spanish. And in when I could actually say to somebody, hola, como estas? And they would say, oh, hola, muy bien. They'd answer me. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to, you know, ave, uh, however you say, how are you in Latin? Nobody's going to answer me. But when I could actually talk to another person and that person responded to me, it just was so, such a great feeling mm -hmm. that I, I probably spent an hour at least with her every day almost. Uh, and we talked Spanish. Now, I'm not sure it helped her English, which is what she was here for, but it sure helped my Spanish. And, uh, <laughs> but it, it's the ability or it's the use of it that enables you to continue and, and continue learning. Mostly Jen, Harry, and Bill. Or not Harry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jen, Nick, and Bill. Um, do you all like your characters? Is there anything you wish they would have done differently? Ooh, that's a good one. I'll start that because mine, I think, is a little bit easier. Um, it's, it's Mine is a necessary part of keeping the story going. It, it tells everybody what's going on so that everybody realizes where they are, what the atmosphere is that they're in. So when something happens, you know, it becomes clear very early on that this is a, a civil conflict in a country and political um, entity has is in the process of taking over for another. And uh, news is such an important part of our lives that most of us learn what's going on by listening to the news or watching the news. So I think it, it the, uh, the news broadcaster plays an integral part in setting the stage and, and just making sure the audience knows what's going on. I never really thought about it. Like, 
<laughs> like I won't I won't even sit there and try to pretend like I did because my like I said my frame of reference is kind of um all the Angies from the beginning to the end and I remember beginning Angie I was like mm, girl you might be doing too much uh, the Angie that we have now in in the radio play I still feel she's a bit misguided but I think this Angie has more about her than Angie's of past script versions. Mm -hmm. I feel like this Angie has a little more, I don't want to say depth because she's always had depth, but I, I want to say that she has a little more seasoning. She's got a little more sazon to her. Like she's she's got a little bit of understanding. There's some street smart there. She's not as naive as in, in past scripts or at least how past people may have played her you know this angie really has a little more understanding and and depth to her in that sense i i wouldn't say she's wrong i just i still wouldn't say she's wrong there might be parts where she's a little misguided there might be parts where she's a little like all over but no nah, i kind of agree with her from beginning to end she's she stood up for what she believed in and she made her point and a lot of times i'm gonna get political and i don't mean to we're currently in a Wait, society Jen, Jen. where huh? Jen, you, you know, we haven't aired past book one, right? Oh yeah. No, I know. Okay. I'm not going to spoil okay. anything. No, I'm <laughs> not spoiling anything. Sure. <laughs> I promise. I'm not giving away spoilers. No, no spoilers here. I, I, I do yeah. agree though, that we're in a, we're in a political climate where it seems like women's voices not only matter, but they're so vital. They have to be heard. And from the minute Angie hits the screen or the radio or whatever you're listening to or however you've heard it in the past, she's there. And she makes her voice very well known. She makes her position very clear. And that is so important for anyone watching a show. And then again, going back to like Hispanic representation in the media, for little Hispanic girls like me who only had white women to look at for stories. I never had a hero in, in media. I didn't have someone who looked like me in a story. So to, to have that, it's so crucial and it's so vital. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And I also want to add before we pass it to Nick that it was interesting too because the relationship between Angie and Isabella and just how they were each handling, I mean, they're both going through so much. <laughs> I mean, like an unfathomable amount of tragedy and and there's probably even more that we're going to learn and that you know and you know everything Jen I know but I don't yet so it's like I know that there's going to be more to learn in the next you know couple of series um in this production but uh it was just interesting to me how each of them were handling it and I mean obviously when anybody goes through that much trauma it's like is there really a right or wrong way I don't know it's like there's just so much going on but um I just found it intriguing how they were um each kind of on their own wavelength and i think each felt justified in the way that they were handling it and so i guess that sort of was in my mind too when i was thinking of this question like how you felt about angela's reaction and how you felt about her way of going about things but i agree with you i think her voice was really strong and that she definitely was holding her ground and uh you know, she wasn't letting anybody push her around. These love triangles. I see a potential love triangle with Sonny, Angela, and Harry. And <laughs> but <laughs> I guess we'll we'll see. I don't know. I could be totally off base. But I just thought that it was also an interesting interplay between her and Harry and 
how she kind of dealt with that relationship as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so in any event, um, I'll, I'll pass it to Nick before I, I get too off topic where Nick, do you like your character or would you change anything about him? Harry is perfect. <laughs> uh, no, he, well, he's certainly got his flaws. Um, he is a very torn character. He's torn between his heart and his duty. His <laughs> beauty. <laughs> I saw you laughing in your mute, and I was like, oh, I know what's coming. Um, yeah, his responsibility to his father and to his country, and then want, like the heart wants what the heart wants. Um, and yeah, no, I I like I, I like Harry. Um, in the end, I think I could go one way or the other, but in the end, he <laughs> we are children. But in the end, he I I wouldn't change anything just because his journey is I like his journey. Just gonna leave it at that. Um, but am I able to ask a good question? No, you're you're answering. I know, but uh, can I can I ask a question though? Oh sure, go um, for it. Uh, it was it was just because um hearing Jen talk about the Angies of the past, and mm-hmm. I wanted to like kind of, and that's what I was asking, just because with this being a play, since your familiarity with it has been musical 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 and like from the actor standpoint and from the writer standpoint how like what was it like no because we know with musical theaters people break into song when the emotion gets to a point where it's too much i need i need to sing about it what was it like reining it back from okay well can't sing about it i need to get that emotion back into just spoken word like i feel i feel like there's so much more to explore there because now it's uh, like taking all the emotion it's like oh i don't gotta make it sound into a certain certain musical phrase or rhyme or something like that um so i feel like you're able to explore more um I I can I, I I'm really curious as Jen's perspective on this, but just from a writing point of view, um, everyone does have a lot more to say now. Um, I mean, obviously because the songs are gone. But what I mean is like um, it's a lot easier to make someone like you if they sing a cool song. Um, you know, even if you're supposed to be a dick, not having that really the characters have to stand, you know, on their own. So I think the the version of Harry that you get to play is the most honest version of Harry because he doesn't have the bells and whistles of theatricality, you know, um, and no one really does with the exception of maybe some people that get um, some segue stuff from TRCS into their scenes, you know, that's as theatrical as we get. Angie gets mad at Harry and, you know, Harry doesn't sing a love song about it. Harry keeps talking until she really doesn't like what he's saying, you know, and then 
Um, I don't know how it translates, though, because, again, I'm only looking at it from that perspective. Jen, what do you think? Um, I, I know from the actress perspective, because I know the script so well, every time we get to a certain part, I'm like, oh, this is where we sing. And I know exactly what song it is. <laughs> so, like, there's one fight that, uh, that me and Harry actually have. And I remember the argument right after it. And then the song that turned into it, it's like the most beautiful, like, love-hate song ever. <laughs> so, from that sense, it's almost like... The words to songs aren't there. We're not singing. We're not singing songs, but I still absolutely positively hear the song in the words that are written. If that makes sense, the story is carried out, and the music isn't there. Like Billy did such a great job of conveying that, at least from my perspective. Um, because, like I said, I'm I'm so used to hearing songs. <laughs> and I know where they all fit and like hearing the opening I, I hear like the drum from SMS in the very beginning and, and like I just I hear it you know it's just it's it's a good thing um, I would agree also about like Harry being a little more honest but like I said it's it's more than likely because there isn't music backing him up he, you really learned about Harry in past writings through those songs it's a lot of what billy said but like i said from the actor's point i definitely hear the music i hear i hear i see the dance breaks because we had dancing in our in our previous ones i think i still even remember some of those dances like i remember a lot of that stuff it, it's just kind of in there then you're making me wish i could like hitch a ride in your brain so i would know exactly what was happening at one point oh my goodness <laughs> I, so, so in the very so in this one this is book one Right before, right during Angie's speech, um, during the funeral of her father, before the explosion happens, there's actually a song. Um, I think it's called Whoa. And it, it sings cry. everything. Oh, cry. That's it. Because in it's Whoa. whoa. But um, the minute I, I start speaking in that, I'm hearing the beat for cry in the background. And cry ends with the explosion. So, like I said, like for me, it just connects because I've been through all the versions. So at first, it was a little weird, but it, I it, I feel like it informed my character at the very least, um, knowing that background to it. Are there any lis um, listener audience questions, Billy, that we can answer, or uh, were most of Harry's songs cut? Um, Yes. Yes, they were. <laughs> Listen, murder your, murder your darlings, man. There's... <laughs> the, the play is long. The musical was longer. And the musical would be uh, ridiculous if I didn't like just start cutting all the songs I like. And um, God, if I ever do the musical again, it's going to be even shorter because even more of those babies are getting, you know, slaughtered. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I got another one here, Chels. Okay. Oh, what is everyone's favorite character? You can't choose your own? Okay. And why is it Private Badger? I forgot, that's who I played. I played Badger. That's right, Badger. Oh my god, I wanted to know why he was called Badger and if we're ever going to find out why he's called Badger. Or if it's just one of those mysteries. Maybe you can't say it. I don't know. 
he okay so first off badger is not in any other version of this uh he was in i tried to novelize this uh back before when i thought i could write books and um the character is exactly the same um he is based on um a kid i went to college with who uh i think his, i think his last name was badger and uh that's just who is in my mind when i uh when i wrote this character it was just uh, that's that actor is who i was writing for when i wrote uh when i wrote private badger interesting and, and who's everyone's favorite character I, i'd say i'm trying to think of who my favorite character was i think it, I'd go it with, might change i think i'd go with angela so far <laughs> i think that's my favorite just because we were saying yeah <laughs> yeah no really though i mean like you were saying before i mean she strikes me as being tough she's strong i'm curious to know more about why she's sort of tough and you know putting kind of a shell around her a little bit i feel like she's kind of protecting herself and i'm, I'm curious to learn more about that um, how about the rest of everybody? Who's Terry. Okay. <laughs> Terry. Terry. Terry Siegel. Uh, I'm I'm a Sunny fan. I think I think Sunny has some hidden attributes and uh, assets that we don't even know about. We never quite get there to find out. I think he's. He's got secrets. Good secrets. All right. Nick? Yeah, I was going to say Sonny as well. Um, just, you know, just being opposite him, I'm just like, yeah, that's fun. fun Even Sonny. <laughs> Everyone loves Sonny. <laughs> um, well, Chelsea, you know BD too. Uh, I wrote Sonny for Doug. Oh, no way. So, who has never played the part. Um, so, yeah, he Sonny was written for the guitar player of BD2. That's awesome. <laughs> I can see that now. Now that you're saying it, I can see it for sure. Uh, Jen, did you say did you say Eunice? Is, and does that count if she's played the part before? I'm not playing her this time. So, in my opinion, it counts. And she gets way better past the first act. Like, I promise you, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to spoil it. But yo, that's why I said Terry. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna spoil her. But when I tell you, Eunice is gonna surprise a lot of people. I promise. I promise. Oh, I changed my mind. Joe. If we're talking about book oh, one, oh, Joe, it's, she's it's a gotta good one be Joe. Too. Hey. Yeah, we got an actual <laughs> child for it. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I kept saying the f bomb over and over. Again. <laughs> it's like this is great. <laughs> Checked with her mom. She was cool with it. I was gonna say, did you check with her parents on that one? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because she was in Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, so she goes from this family-friendly um, Christmas play to, you know, I'll cut your fucking balls off if you touch me. And her mom's like, oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, there were there are a lot of cool characters. I mean, like I keep saying, I since as someone who's totally new to this production. This is just obviously an introduction to everything and kind of just like, we're total surface layer right now. Like, I feel like we got to dig deeper into the the crust of the earth, if you will, <laughs> right on, on the surface. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what comes next. And um, Yeah, I just realized this ends literally with the assassination attempt. And then 
nothing followed it except for a song, I guess. So yes. that was that was a terrible place for me to leave it. Well, um, that's okay. It keeps yeah. us on cliffhanger. It keeps us wanting more. So with that, I'm I'm done with my questions. I'm uh, Billy. Do we know when the next installment will be, or is there no? Yeah, it's uh, it is. I have everybody's parts. Um, it's just a matter of editing at this point, and I can't do that till I get home. So it'll be maybe two weeks. Uh, it'll be out. Cool. Um, but yeah, it'll be a faster turnaround now that I have everybody's stuff, and uh, and then book three is going to be super quick after that because I don't want to keep people waiting and I want to move on to some, you know, other, other stuff in the future, especially with spooky season upon us. Uh, in fact, I might even put a break between book two and three just to get something out in time for Halloween. Nice. Very cool. Well, thank you all so much for joining me tonight. It was really fun to meet everybody. Well, see everyone, you know, I meet slash see <laughs> it was a combo tonight, but uh, it was really cool and um, I enjoyed it. And yeah, uh, hopefully the rest of everybody watching, see you next time for another Patchwork Talkback. Thank everybody. you, Chelsea. And yeah, of course. Bye, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.